Keep your hands and head inside the vehicle at all times. Buckle your seatbelts, check your mirrors, sit on back and relax. It's lights out and away we go for the Tall and Short of It podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Tall and Short of It podcast coming to you live from a flying pirate ship. I'm your host Justin. And I'm Aaron. Welcome back everyone for another episode of the podcast. Uh, We are back this week with a uh, lot of good F1 chit-chat to talk about, a little bit of Magic the Gathering, um, some League of Legends playoff expectations, uh, and more. Justin, good to see you, my friend. How's your week been? How you how you doing? Yeah, good to see you too, man. Excited to, uh, honestly excited to talk about the Grand Prix. Looking forward to some of the playoffs. Um, but yeah, let me, uh, let me give you a little bit about my week here. Um, so I've been having some, like, I'll just say shoulder inflammation that is, you know, being at the forefront of my brain and being an aware individual, I know where it's coming from. I've been working on my, uh, seated posture when working at my desk um with my ergonomic chair it's definitely improved i've come up and am like more centered where previously i know i've talked i used to have this like outward rotation to my arms Mm. and my shoulders i've kind of all brought it to the middle but this shoulder inflammation it's coming from i would have my my armrest up to match like the height of my desk and to get every to to make everything fit so what i did sir I took the wheels off the bottom of my desk, dropped it down like a, it's like a solid like two and a half inches lower. Now mm. my shoulders are like dropped and in an ergonomic position when like at rest and like where my hands would be on my wasties, my right hand on my on my mouse, like it's perfectly comfortable and I'm just like my shoulders are in a relaxed position now and okay. I'm like seated perfectly comfortable. So that's my seed here for the week where I've been kind of thinking about this issue what we can do and so my seat is here looking forward to kind of relief from the shoulders in my in my gaming positions very nice it's uh it's tough i feel like the shoulders are a tough one to like figure out because and i i mean you have the professional perspective but uh i know that like growing up running my dad um he ran cross country through college, ran marathons, half marathons, all sorts of good stuff. But during like cross country races for me, one thing he would remind me a lot about was like to drop my shoulders and like let them be relaxed because you'll get up tight with your shoulders in that running. And then I don't know that I imagine that kind of can't help with your breathing or just like your arm movement in general. Um, but I know that the shoulders were always something that he, uh, would remind me to like focus on, um, when I was running. Yeah. It's a really, I think it's a really important aspect of any, of any training. Cause that like, cause you're right at the highest level when you're mid maxing some of those muscular restrictions that you would develop, I, I think they would end up like limiting your lung capacity and range of motion to like a significant degree in that way um so yeah always good to be mindful of the shoulders so that's my seed here for the week my thorn i've been thinking about just thorns in general i'll give you a real small neil brennan uh had a new hour on netflix it's called blocks couple of moments very funny overall just like pretty uh introspective and 
and just like thinking about life at the age that he is now that had got me thinking about just blocks in general in life um so i've been listening to some conversations between um between people that are discussing kind of their issues and their blocks in life and strategies that they use to overcome it um so i think that's really strong when you can hear people talking about some of the same things that you go through as an individual and realize like oh man we are all human hearing what they've done to like help it is just super useful and then you can find ways to kind of hopefully include that in your life um so i think that's been really strong for me lately is just hearing about some other people's thorns um and what they do like to help it's been it's been illuminating gotcha nice um i think yeah, like there's a lot you can glean from other people's experience. Um, I think Big time. it's one of those like um, for some things like you can learn from other people's mistakes uh, in a way. But then there's also, of course, this, the other side of it where there's like some things that you learn better by experiencing. Um, oh, yeah. For but sure. there's there's a ton of information, like um, especially strategies for like working through problems and whatnot that you can get from from something like that. So that's pretty cool. Super useful. And then my rose here, um, just real short, my uh, I've got a client who has been coming in for our stretching protocols recently, and I've been we've been doing it at a pretty good clip, I would say, and getting all of those just like repetitions has allowed me to like really kind of solidify my plan. I've got it like pretty memorized where I'm not kind of like self-checking. It's just kind of a, I've got it down to kind of a process. And then in that I can, I can kind of freestyle a little bit, which is cool where like if, as, as I see changes or, or no differences, um, we can kind of change it up. So I've been really, I've been really pleased with, uh, how the stretching has been going. Uh, but that's been, that's been my week here, sir. How have you been? Give me your rose thorn and seed here. Yeah. Um, I'll start out with my thorn cause it's just, uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it short, but it's like, uh, kind of more of a bummer. Um, sure. but well, give it to me. We, so over the, like, the end of last week, uh, I noticed this like person at the property uh, that I work at and all, like in the common areas and all. I didn't recognize them as a resident, but of course I have like people that I have like people who are staying short term that have like kids and stuff, and they're like, I was thinking like late teens, early twenties ish age kind of thing, but looking a little vagrant ish um so i was like okay they're hanging around the lobby they weren't bothering anyone our property is not in an area that you would get like typical random foot traffic um there's not good sidewalks even like coming to our property and all so i was like this person has to like live here. They're just, this is just kind of weird. Like I haven't seen them at all. All of a sudden they're like in lobby for X amount of time. But then we started getting complaints from residents that they were, this person was like sleeping in the lobby and I'm like, okay, like this is weird. But then I was able to verify on our cameras and with our key fob system that they had a key fob to the community. I kind of nailed down like, 
where they belonged and everything. Um, yeah, but, um, so I guess the, the bummer part was we, it kind of came to a head. We had talked to the person be like, Hey, you can't sleep in the, in like the lobby. Like you gotta sleep at your apartment. Um, and then it still has continued happening. Um, mm. so, so like no naps, no, like, like overnight sleeping. Okay. Gotcha. Like our, our maintenance got an emergency call at 4am and this person's like chilling in the lobby. Okay. Um, gotcha. I understand. Yeah. So come to find out basically that, so this person is transitioning, uh, between previous gender and all, um, and their parents, one of which lives at our property have essentially disowned them and don't like let them be in the home essentially. And they're like, they're the person's an adult. They're like early twenties, but yeah, I'm like it really, really like kills me inside. And it was, it's been bothering me all day. Cause I'm like, this person is just like trying to figure out life like anybody else. Right. And I can't imagine bringing someone into this world without their them asking and then just so harshly judging them that you are like disown like kicking them out basically and just don't want to be a part like i it just blows my mind it makes me really sad um and so i i just like feel really bad for the situation i don't know how exactly it's going to turn out we've had like multiple conversations my property manager um one of her relatives is a therapist so they gave her some resources for like lgbtq plus like resources for housing and like assistance and things like that um and so she gave that to the person. Um, but I just feel, I just feel really bad about it and it sucks cause I, I just can't comprehend how a parent could just like do that just because yeah. of like someone trying to be who they are. Not, not like I can understand cutting someone off because of toxicity, like every interaction I've had with this person in passing in like talking to them, whatnot, super polite, super soft spoken, just like seems like just not like a bad person at all. And mm-hmm. and I'm just like, uh, it's just, it's rough. Damn. Yeah. And then you just got to imagine how that must make that like the, the person that it's, that it's happening to feel where like, they probably know they're not supposed to be sleeping in the lobby, but like, what the heck else are they supposed to do? Like I'm supposed to go home and deal with like my, like my parent treating me poorly. And like I, the parent came to like talk to them when, cause my property manager had to reach out and they were like very aggressive with the way they were talking to them. And like, it was all just like not cool. Um, so I'm hoping that we end up with a, a at least decently positive resolution, but I'm I'm worried that that won't be the case and it sucks. Sure. Um, but yeah, Damn, so that's that's been my my thorn for the past uh, past little bit 
Um, but for some more positive uh, sides, my rose uh, this week is that I am very excited that um, you and I are doing this podcast and recording a day early because uh, Colleen and I are going on a vacation this uh, this weekend to Colorado. Looking very much forward to that. Um, just uh, have a half day in the morning to tidy up everything at work before uh, going on my way, but I'm excited about that. Should be a really nice time. Uh, so uh, a big rose for me um, for this weekend. And then, Do you remember the feeling oh, yeah. of half days in school when you know it's like the tail end of the year so it's like you know it's like 12 45 you step out it's like warm you got like a t-shirt on it's gonna be just the world at your fingertips (laughs) that's gonna be the beautiful thing yeah 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 like dude i'm looking forward to that like for (laughs) your sake dude i'm gonna live vicariously through you dude the feeling of like a warm half day like honestly i hope the sun is shining tomorrow because dude that's gonna be such a good feel of just like just fucking off of work like later guys oh yeah like i'm i'm excited i'm a little nervous i don't think it's gonna be quite the same uh feeling that i got back then where i'm like okay like Peace out. And like the clock struck whatever time I'm gone. I think it's going to be like, uh, okay, do I have everything ready? Do I have all the information? Okay. I guess I can go now. Bye guys. Um, but once I, once I'm out the door, I'll probably get that same, like, yeah, summertime, uh, feel that you would get at the end of the school year for sure. So it's a good feeling. I'm looking forward to the, uh, to the vacation for you, sir. That's, uh, that's good vibes. Yeah. So should be a, an awesome time. Uh, but my seed this week is kind of goes along with it. We are going to be leaving Senna of course, for a couple days with, um, Colleen's family to keep an eye on her make sure she doesn't, uh, drop out of school, get into drugs, really fall in with the wrong crowd. Um, so (laughs) they're going to be, uh, keeping her in, in check for a few days. And I think it's like, I'm stressed a little bit about it, but like, it's also good to just be able to be like, okay, like it is okay sometimes for us to like go do stuff and just like leave her to have someone else to take care of her for a little bit and all. Um, but it's like, uh, it's like a a big moment in that like there hasn't been a night since we've gotten her that one of us has not been there like with her um Mm -hmm. so yeah it's a it's like a a nice step to see how she handles it and then uh hopefully be able to work with that a little bit more for other vacations and future things so yeah, it's nice to it's nice to have a little home away from home for the for the puppy. That's um, well, exciting for them. Excited, honestly, for Colleen's family. They get to have a little a little rugrat running around. But yeah, like mm-hmm. you said, after school programs keep them out of trouble. That's the way to go. Yeah, and make sure she drinks her milk, builds strong bones, and all. Yeah, of course. So, of uh, course. <laughs> uh, but that's my uh, my my rose thorn and seed for the week. Um, and leading into some of the other kind of little small topics uh quick hitters i have a question for you and i don't know if there's an answer for it but Mm. i was thinking about this the other day um i know i just 
it's it's a philosophical question. So mm. driving uh, to and from work, there are roads that I've talked about before. I know them very well, but probably not everyone who's driving does. They drive too slow for my liking, and it bugs me. But my, I think I like realized with some of the some of the folks that I end up behind. I'm like, they are going like faster than the slowness that annoys me. So like mm-hmm. it's not worth me being like irritated because they're not slowing me down that much. Like, mm-hmm. but is there like a name or explanation for like when I'm behind someone in traffic, mm-hmm. I might be going so say I'm going forty miles an hour behind someone in traffic. I might drive that same road going 40 miles an hour with no one in front of me just because, like, that's the speed I'm driving. But I feel like I'm going slower when there's someone in front of me. I want, I don't, I'm kind of curious if there's a, like, name for that or if that's an actual thing because that's what I feel like. I feel like if I'm going, like, 40 just with no one in front of me and I'm just chilling, just, like, cruising at 40, okay. No, like it feels faster than it is, maybe, like, or, or that I it's more the reverse. It's like going like 40, 50, whatever that set speed is mm-hmm. when there's no one in front of me. I just feel like I'm going a good pace, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going mm-hmm. that same pace and there's someone sitting in front of me going the same mm-hmm. speed just right in front of me, I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck. I'm going so slow. This person needs yeah. to speed up. Like what, yeah. what is going on? Um, and the only thing that I could find, cause there is a name for what you were saying with like you, when you're driving like quickly and then you slow down, like mm-hmm. you feel like you're going super slow. Like okay. if you're driving, like if you're on like uh the turnpike for going right, 75 like in, for like an hour yeah, like and then you hop 40. off the exit yeah so that is called velocitation which okay. is where the change in speed makes you feel like the the delta makes you feel like you're going right. super uh super slow but i would imagine then the what you're talking about the scientific word for that is aggravation <laughs> Okay. It's sitting behind another car at 40 miles per hour. Yeah, because if I'm going 40 behind them, or and I would go 40 anyway, and I would be perfectly fine, I'm just like... Right, but that's your choice. They are removing that choice mm. from you, and that is, like, that is so core to my anger that, like, <laughs> I know I know that explicitly. Okay. It is the feeling of <laughs> them removing control from you, where they they've parked themselves in front of you and they're okay. just like deal with it motherfucker <laughs> it is it is a it is a um what did they charge saddam hussein with like war crimes like crimes oh. against humanity <laughs> i put it like up on that level i do i truly do speed limits yeah i'll just stop i'll just stop there yeah, I okay, that makes sense. Uh <laughs> because I I just I guess it's that uh you you're losing your freedom. 
That's what exactly. it is. They're you taking my freedom. Yep. <laughs> and hey, if there's nobody in front of you or behind you and you want to cruise for it, well, fuck. I mean, see, they, but they may be exercised. Like, they may not be anybody in front of them. And they're just like, hey, man, I'm going 40. I'm living the dream. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a perspective game, my friend. It is. It is. I, uh, I want to I was... murder every single one of them. I'll tell you that. Oh man, I the things that I say behind a steering wheel sometimes. Oh my. Um <laughs> but uh getting to some of the quick hitters. Um just a like news piece of news. Uh Twitch's CEO uh stepped down this past week after 16 years of being um at the head of Twitch. So it'll be interesting to see kind of uh, what or if there are uh, transitions with kind of the platform, how they're set up and all. We've talked about um, other platforms that have kind of started up to challenge Twitch a little bit in terms of um, how they at least compensate, compensate creators and things like that. Uh, so just kind of a, a news news article that i saw that i was like i that sounds like uh something interesting to mention hopefully well i i think the consistent gripe that me and you have had is the i'm curious if they go more towards hot tub on the main page or away from hot tub on the main page i think that's (laughs) that's like a pretty what would you say pretty red line that i think a lot of people are looking at because that that kind of shows you where their attention is like are we looking like for more money more eyes like more clicks are we looking for like more wholesome eyes more wholesome clicks yeah so that's like uh, so that's the scale and so there's like two ends right hot tub is like here and you're like is it gonna go here is it gonna go Mm-hmm. <laughs> where exactly. where does hot tub uh, how far do you have to scroll to get to hot tub streams is right. the uh is the the question there the metric that we're going with yeah yeah, yeah so uh so uh an interesting new scale has uh has come out of this at the very least but um uh another esport kind of topic but uh cs gopros had an opportunity to play the new counter-strike uh game counter-strike 2 that's going to be coming out i think it's still in like the uh pre-release stages and all um but the um the comments at least were initially positive at least about how it looks uh forest who plays uh i think still is a current player but had played for a long time said it's gorgeous um get right said it's beautiful uh kenny s said uh enjoy cs2 trust me it's good um so some positive um kind of uh commendations of the game um before it's fully released and everything so i don't know if it's gonna be a good game but it sounds like at least people uh think it looks pretty good and i'm sure there's once competitive hits it it'll have some some tweaks and whatnot but but that's cool to have a a fresh cs game because it's been quite a while 
yeah, it's interesting too, especially and and I don't know like what the developer team is or or whatever, but if I remember correctly, there were not many changes made throughout the course of each game. Not as many as like a League of Legends or like a Dota or something like this, where there's mm. patches all the time. Something like Valorant that's like having new heroes added in, Rainbow Six Siege. If I remember correctly, the CS games had way fewer like patches, meaning like the game state stayed pretty consistent for a while. It's interesting that it comes in these like larger like game to game updates. I think that's a really fun way to do it, um, especially when there's so many years in between them. It's definitely a different philosophy model than like the Call of Duties, where the mm -hmm. life cycle of the Call of Duty esport year to year, it's based on like what game is out that year, where like the CDL, it's not going to be Modern Warfare 2 next year. It's going to be, you know, maybe like Vanguard 2 or whatever, whatever game is out in the Call of Duty. Yeah. Um, so just an interesting interesting life cycle strategy uh for the game but yeah looking forward to it i think that'll be i think that'll be pretty cool yeah i definitely uh agree i think it'll be uh interesting and of course the release dates have kind of shifted and there's new conversation about that now um who knows when it will officially come out um but definitely something to keep an eye out for uh, maybe I can get in on the ground level of Counter Strike, and then go. like it it it'll be like when League first came out. I can just like climb the uh, the ladder quickly. No one will know how to play or anything like that. No one's gonna be hopping off of uh, CS:GO and going over there and just destroying me or anything. I'm sure. Yeah, so. I can't imagine the skills would translate that well. Yeah. I imagine. So uh, <laughs> so new game. Um, Two, two final little quick notes, but the 1,000 Miles of Sebring and the 12 Hours of Sebring events just happened uh, recently. Um, so the 1,000 Miles of Sebring is a um, endurance, well, it's a long-term endurance race. Uh, the final time uh, for the winning team was 8 hours, 19 minutes, uh, or sorry, 8 hours, 19 seconds and eight 19.877 seconds whatever that is so they yeah. uh <laughs> so they um ended up winning the race it's a thousand mile like similar to the 24 hours of le mans uh and all in sebring florida and so they host that event um and where i actually kind of got more interested uh was that in the 12 hours of sebring which is um another endurance race that they host scott mclaughlin uh mclaughlin from indycar uh actually finished third in that um in that race so he finished up there with the likes of a number of people that i don't recognize um but yeah his uh his team finished so he was a team of three and they finished third overall in that uh event and these are and these are single seaters correct um i believe mm, 
I'm not 100% sure. Because uh, in the um, Thousand Miles of Sebring, the Ferrari car um, ended up going wide, spinning, and then slammed into a tire barrier and flipped on its roof. And it looks like a more like a supercar than, okay. than a single-seater. Um, so I would imagine these are probably... Uh, supercars. Gotcha. I don't know too much, but um, yeah, it looks like ah, it looks like maybe you can kind of go with whatever. Um, either that, it looks like there's been a mix of single seaters and like touring supercars. So gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. When you yeah. said the thousand miles of Sebring, I pictured the um, like two thousand three Chrysler Sebring that I that I linked you there in the chat. I was like, oh. why why do we care about a thousand of these on a racetrack? And then oh and then I googled God. it. I was like, oh okay, that makes sense. They're like supercars and fast. But yeah. when I think of Sebring, that's what I think of, and I'm like, that is. I did not know that that was. Uh... I guess that's probably where it got its name. I didn't even realize that was a car um, oh, yeah. model. Oh, was yeah. that a Caddy? And, uh, Chrysler. Chrysler. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I, I saw like, it and saw old person car. <laughs> 100%, exactly. So I'm like, you're talking about these things racing around? Like, what? Like, that is immediately what flew into my head. Oh, yeah. They're, they're cruising around that on their way home from church to get the groceries. They're Hell zooming. Yeah. Um, Dude, can you imagine <laughs> fucking Nana just like revving her engine looking over at, you know, fucking Auntie Sims? Like, you trying to go? You trying to go? And they just fucking haul ass just all the way down to the super fresh. Yeah, First like one into 30, the parking lot wins. 37 miles an hour top speed just flying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's not because they're trying to like go slow. That that is just that the is... max speed of the Chrysler Sebring. Exactly. So. Yeah. Brutal. <laughs> um, but moving on into uh, some more racing <laughs> topics and all, leading up to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix that we had this past weekend. Um, going into the weekend, of course, on day one, it's probably going to happen every single race. Now that uh, it's happened at two, but. Lewis had to go see the stewards in regard to his jewelry and all again, even though he has a doctor's note that clears him of like having to remove his jewelry, which he presented and like the Mercedes or the Mercedes team presented on his behalf or whatever at the first right. race of the season, they called him down again this time to, I assume do the same exact thing. So this is just going to be a, every race kind of thing maybe um so I'll, I'll just keep an eye out for it but um it's just a, a stupid ridiculous thing that uh i saw kind of going into the race weekend i'm like like why he already like you did this why are you doing it again just to bug him well maybe i don't know the details but maybe a doctor's note is not like you know indefinite well it sounds kind of silly like it's not about it's not it's not like a health thing they're well, trying it was because uh well to some extent they were saying with his 
I think it was his nose ring or one of them. If he took the piercing out for the amount of time for racing, like, and everything that there was like risk of infection or something like that. So there was like, they had a viable reason and everything to be like, Hey, like stop pushing this. Like, come on. Um, so, and it's not like a, risk to anyone else kind of thing either like if i i feel like to some extent at that point like yeah there are some safety regulations that it's like okay yes we're going to implement these for everyone like the halo or things like that but for the driver to be like yeah i'm gonna keep my nose ring in or wear a necklace or something like if you're like, hey, we highly advise you don't because of the risks in case of whatever catastrophe, then, right. and the person's like, yes, I'm signing this saying that, like, I understand and agree that that is your recommendation, but, like, I'm going to do my thing. I think right. that like, that's like, that um, sounds more useful than a doctor's note. Yeah, like, I just don't understand why this is being, like, pushed against Lewis by the FIA. It's just weird. Like, especially after, like, going through this the first race, now they're going through it again. I'm like, just, like, why? Like, why yeah, I, why go through the same thing when it was already, like, resolved? Oh, sure, yeah. Well, maybe from the steward's perspective, it was not resolved that's that's my argument and and mercedes just thought that it would be good enough but ultimately like yeah i don't think i don't think it is the hill to die on for the fia however i could see a scenario where they just want to do their best to enforce the rules that they have so as not to look um kind of weak or flip floppy in other areas the same thing like, with yeah uh, if you're gonna keep doing this we're gonna keep doing this right and eventually like it's gonna cost mercedes more in the long run than it is to have a to have a steward just say to lewis like hey could you please take your nose ring out you know like that's way easier for the fia to do than take away from lewis's you know weekend prep and this and that so you know does it seem worthwhile? No. Do I understand a rule enforcing body to enforce the rules that it's set up? However, arbitrary are the reasons. Yeah, that that does make sense to me. Um, should it be? Should it be news on a weekend? No, I don't think. So. No, I mean it's just the fa- like. I guess anytime someone has to visit the stewards, the FIA has to put out a documented like statement of like who was brought in, what team they drive for. Like the things that it's like number and driver, competitor, what time, what's the reason, what's the offense. And it's like, you're just going to go through that and it's going to get just publicly put out because they do that for like any incident. Well, I've been making a list and checking it twice about who's on on the naughty list. So, I mean, it is it is helpful for some. Well, you you did check it twice. Hopefully this was them checking it twice and we don't have to worry mm-hmm. about it more. Uh, but going into the weekend, of course, the other the biggest news of the weekend was uh, Charles Leclerc taking his third out of two um, uh, control electronics, which was the 10 pace grid 
10 place grid penalty um his second of three mguh and then his second of three allowed um ices so uh, a lot of battery upgrades or uh changes that needed to happen leading to his 10 place grid penalty um before the weekend even started so definitely a rough way to uh to go into the second race already surpassing one of those um kind of uh penalizing parts uh by getting another set of the control electronics for for the car so and i'm curious like is that something is that something that tends to be a problem like that do you think you know he incurs this penalty and then it'll just be do you think it'll last for the rest of the season maybe he has to take one more kind of thing the only reason i could see would be i i don't think that's a common one to replace it sounds like they replaced it after or like partway through the first race weekend um okay. which was like what or they had their first one they replaced it during the first weekend so they were on their second set and then because of the power unit failure and everything from last race and all uh he ended up taking the third set so gotcha um so yeah definitely i would expect if they changed them or that early on then they were like, yeah, we're fine if we just change it and like go through the rest of the season. Or we're just like, yeah, one race down the road, we'll just take a new power unit and a new this and a new that. And like, we'll get a back of the grid penalty like we would have to at some point anyway. Right. Um, okay, that makes sense. So that's probably the, uh, the case there. Um, but on the other side of the, uh, the top of the grid, well, <laughs> the slightly ahead at the top of the grid red bull had a couple of new power unit uh things as well checo had some uh or had his energy store changed and his control electronics so he also went on to that second set that you're allowed of control electronics after one mm-hmm. race so I, I would imagine it's just expected that'll last like a while typically and so uh hopefully we won't see that flare up too too much um and then of course max after the qualifying which i'm sure we'll chat about briefly ended up getting a new gearbox case and cassette a gearbox driveline and some other components changed but it was his, his second set so there was no penalty for that um i guess any subsequent would have penalties mm-hmm. yeah and we were this is Excuse me, this is jumping way forward, but we even had some suspicions of maybe even those parts being um, hopefully not in danger. Uh, you know, we ended up finishing the race, but mm-hmm. yeah, the the issues in qualifying ended up, you know, having some some foreshadowing qualities to them. Yeah, most definitely in looking at the qualifying, so... We start off uh, start off pretty hot in Q1. Um, Max does a nice little nice little uh, like out lap, hot lap, cool down lap, back to the pits and cruises through to uh, 
doesn't have to go back out, cruises through to Q2 um, with one of the best times that ended up coming out of qualifying in general. Uh, so a pretty nice start. That qualifying time would have put Max up to... He would have been in P4 to start the race with that qualifying time. Uh, but of course, getting into Q2 ends up uh, coming around, getting ready for the hot lap, and no hot lap, no gearbox, no drive. Uh, so a uh, tough start for the the defending world champion after a, a good first race to immediately have issues uh, and have to start down in, in P15 for the race. Yeah, that's really tough. I'm curious, so... and. Yeah, I remember I remember that happening in the qualifying. I'm curious looking at uh gotcha gotcha. I understand the mistake that I did. Sorry. Gotcha. Alright, now we're um yeah, here we are. I was gonna say, why does he have a Q three time set if he wasn't um in Q three? Because you were saying that I'm like, Yeah, yeah, you're right. He 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 did have issues. What's what's going on here? Alright, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, so uh, so a tough start for Max, but the other one of the other drivers that had like a really rough go of it this weekend in the quali was Logan Sargent. Um, a really let's see how many rings. Oh, it was two. That Bell has had issues lately where just like it'll go like eight times. She'll oh, she'll like touch brutal. it once and it'll just like ring and ring and ring and ring Damn. anyway uh but logan Sargent for the williams squad um i mentioned it on the race companion you can check out our, our live thoughts on the youtube um but logan Sargent really tough qualifying he had two really good shots at representative laps but wasn't able to um to nail one in that q in that first qualifying session his pace easily would have put him up into the uh, into the top 15 to at least make it out of Q1, um, which would have been really solid, especially uh, with Alex Albon not making it out of Q1. Based on his first uh, first hot lap, he was at a better pace than uh, than Alex was, and and into the top 15, but. Couldn't hook it up, spun out a couple of times, hit some curbs, and uh, I guess that's the the rookie woes a little bit. But um, I was really impressed to see that he had some some solid pace going out there. Just definitely uh, a bummer that he couldn't quite hook it up for a full lap to uh, to put a time out there. Um, ends up thirty eight seconds off with his uh, hot lap that he kind of coasted in. So. Yeah, and it's unfortunate from that position, especially when like we do see good racing from him when he does have the opportunity. It's tough that he wasn't able to, you know, put himself in a good position in the qualifying where we have seen him, you know, be be pretty racy come come Sunday. One uh qualifying winner that that I I was hoping to see a little more out of was the um the P9 out of Oscar Piastri in mm-hmm. the McLaren. Um, really solid drive, really solid qualifying, I thought. But, um, yeah, had had 
a tough time on Sunday, but a great qualifying, I think, both for him, you know, in in the rookie spot, but then also for the McLaren as well, mm. who just, you know, overall the the morale is pretty pretty down on on McLaren. So I thought that was a pretty nice showing showing from uh, Oscar Piastri. Yeah, definitely a, a highlight for sure. I think um, he is kind of the the stud out there of the. Uh, the qualifying performances in terms of like expectations to what they ended up doing. Um, Leclerc though, as well, putting it up to, to P2 in the qualifying 10 place grid penalty, of course, to drop him back down. But that is a really solid uh, single lap from the Ferrari, especially seeing these um, issues that we've seen initially with the cars um, and just not quite having the pace of the Red Bulls to put it up that high off the bat, three tenths up off of um, Fernando Alonso, who's there in P3. Um, a really nice qualifying from, from Leclerc. Yeah, and it's crazy just looking at those, just those Q3 times in general. It's crazy seeing how like the top six are separated by, you know, just like seven tenths and then the rest of the field is just a little bit more there. Um, it's kind of wild how close all of these vehicles and drivers are, honestly. Like mm. when they're when they're broken out, you know, they've each got their own row. It almost doesn't tell the story of just how close close it really is. You got to look at the numbers and say like, holy shit, these guys are these guys are cutting at margins here. Oh, absolutely. It's uh it's pretty pretty exciting that qualifying is this close. Like we said after mm-hmm. the uh Q1 of the first race, the top like 19 were separated by like 1.2 seconds which is unheard of in in formula one so Mm -hmm. um it it has potential like i know that the red bulls are so dominant right now and we'll get to talk about that a little bit later but it shows how close at least on that single lap pace some of these other constructors are to being Mm -hmm. like to catching up like the margins the margins are smaller it's just these are the first couple of weeks and the Red Bulls just are ahead of the game on everyone at the moment. So it's uh, definitely something that I expect to shift around a little bit as the season progresses and all. Um, but moving into uh, into the race weekend, so Max, of course, was saying uh, he was after the qualifying he was kind of uh, he was, of course, disappointed, but felt like they could uh, he was optimistic uh, about the opportunities for, uh, to, to move up towards the top of the grid and everything going into the weekend. Um, and that he did, um, he, he and Leclerc both made nice pushes at the start of the race to, to kind of make their way up through the grid. I was a little, um, hasty i think on my projections i said he would be in the top 10 by lap three i think during the race companion i think it took a a little bit longer than that to uh to work his way up but ends up fighting his way through the field quite well little help from the safety car as well Mm -hmm. yeah and there was a sense in which like before the race you kind of knew even though even though the qualifying performance like wasn't all that great, you kind of had a feeling that his car was going to be quick enough to get up to a certain point pretty freely. Um, 
and to use your point which which i thought was beautiful was a bunch of these other drivers their race isn't with him really mm. um so they're not going to waste a lot of their let's say like rubber resources to like fight his passing yeah. um so yeah it it took him a little while but he was uh, a pretty pretty quick driver on the track it was able to make a lot of overtakes happen in a pretty um pretty short amount of time but the the thing that stuck out for me about this race is the story of the of the two dnfs where it comes from two drivers where you didn't really want to see it not that you ever want to see any driver dnf but lance who was at a great pace having a having a really good race for like p5 p6 at the time something like that like just just, cruising just really cruising and like and having that kind of team performance that that would uh, leapfrog aston martin in the constructors championships so for him to have the mechanical failure that he did and this is the and this is the flag that you were alluding to having the mechanical failure that he did um i I thought it was just big unfortunate. And then again for Alex Albon in the Williams was driving a great race overall. His his qualifying was was decent. Not not, you know, like wonderful kind of where you expect the Williams to be. But that team, those drivers are doing pretty well. So it was a shame to see both of them both of them get DNFs where like it wasn't it wasn't their fault. They weren't overdriving the car. It was just mechanical failures. And that's like that's when it's really tough, uh, especially when the drivers are, you know, having a great day. Yeah, I definitely and and looking at especially with a day where the rest of the grid go, comes uh mostly unscathed through right. and uh you have almost everyone finish only one person being lapped that being valtteri botas uh was the only only lapped person for this this race um which was a little bit of a a surprise but the alfa romeo so far has not seemed superb um it doesn't have quite the pace i think that i expected it to um but we had a lot of good fights um kind of in the second half of the grid i guess we had a little mm-hmm. bit of fighting over that p10 position throughout the race but a lot of the the fights for position were from that 11 down to like 15 kind of spot there mm-hmm. um so it wasn't a ton of action at the top the the kind of most intriguing part was of course we had the two ferraris pit we had signs on lap 15 we had Leclerc on lap 16 go ahead and take their pit stops. And then immediately after that, Lance Stroll's car um, uh, just dies on him, causing a safety car where we see um, we see both of the Mercedes as well as Verstappen jump up spaces on the grid, not really have to to fight through as many cars get get the cheap pit stop and everything and um immediately put those ferraris in a a tough spot so that's just i mean that's just the way it goes but it seems lately that that is kind of ferrari's luck that they're just like oh yeah like oh yeah we're gonna pit we're gonna take the undercut and safety car (laughs) Mm -hmm. awesome uh so definitely tough like they they were having 
decent pace, but that really kind of screwed them out of um, competing a ton later on. Um, the two of them just both were so close with the Mercedes. I feel like the two of them are on very similar levels right now. Um, yeah. But losing that 10 seconds or so in terms of time lost uh, to the other cars in the in the pit stop just was was a rough way to for that to happen because we could have seen a lot more good fighting good racing between them uh i think otherwise yeah i think you're right that's something though i mean because it was because it was a mechanical failure it wasn't like a well i i don't think it matters whatever kind of flag it is but like it can't be predicted it's not necessarily anybody's fault so i think that's something that you we can look down the line and predict pretty reliably something like this is going to happen to at least four of the other teams on on some race you know where they're just on the the short end of the of the of the safety car stick um but yeah it was really unfortunate because you could see i think ferrari was like both of the drivers were having the kind of race where it easily could have been it easily could have been both of them four or five um and having the mercedes six seven in that position you know had they waited what it, what would it have been like uh two minutes two and a half minutes you yeah know, to pit um so pretty pretty unfortunate timing but overall it's not like it it's not like it killed their race they were in two pretty solid point scoring positions positions keeping themselves up there um but yeah maybe just frustrating overall yeah i would i would agree yeah and uh of course i'd also be frustrated if i was uh was oscar piastri you had mentioned him in qualifying p9 and then just getting clipped by the alpine of pierre gasly Mm -hmm. on lap one taking off his end plate uh needing an entire front wing change and then just going from that p9 position all the way down tumbling down the grid um having to pit early to change that front front wing and all um just bad luck for him too it was uh it, it was definitely a racing incident it's tight and tough early on with cars going three wide and everything like mm. i don't think gasly it was definitely not like a intentional or even a knowing kind of incident from gasly it didn't look like but um just one of the unfortunate things where these these cars are bunched up so tight going so fast so uh so quick out the gate so uh a rough one for for piastri and then of course um his his teammate lando norris had a rough go of it on the day as well um just really that mclaren car uh is struggling outside of being able to potentially have a some good single lap pace like uh like piastri was able to show during quali yeah and really like and really over the long term not really showing up either um so i think we're gonna have to see a lot of um yeah probably a lot of things changing for the for the better um for the mclaren team before we we really see them in in the contention to get any kind of points um, but I think it was an encouraging, you know, encouraging show from Oscar Piastri, but yeah, unfortunate, um, start to the day for him. And, you know, he was just clawing back the clawing back the whole time. Yeah. Um, definitely, yeah, I think, 
Definitely go just a, a tough way to, to have to go about your, your race day, kind of sa- trying to salvage whatever you have, especially after the issue with the car in week one where he just got to drive like seven laps or however long right. it was. Um, and then having this happen this weekend, that's pretty uh, pretty brutal. He was still able to get some, you know, oh, geez, um, still able to get some like wheel to wheel wheel racing done uh, mm-hmm. toward, towards the end of the race, having some uh, having some meetings with some other drivers. So that's always just valuable experience to get. Um, I think he stated pretty like low stakes wheel to wheel racing. Um, and, you know, it was yeah, it's good experience. Really yep. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Um, but moving on, uh, I guess. The, the other biggest kind of news, so of course there's um, Max fighting his way up from P15, getting up to P2, not ever able to really catch Checo, um, was just like around that 5 to 10 seconds back for the last little bit there. Um, but Fernando Alonso as well, there's a lot of weirdness for for fernando on the weekend he has a great qualifying puts it on third and qualifying starting uh p2 on the front row great start from fernando takes the lead of the race awesome drive um and just getting past checo but uh unfortunately the penalty was given for him not being in the right starting position and it kind of just like got weird for for him from there (laughs) uh we were we were making jokes about the two techs that like had their hands on and the jack guy that like there was no mistaking the contact with the back of the car um and then i guess even before that was an issue there's the question of like, can you even serve those penalties under a safety car where it's like really not even that like you're you're not taking the full brunt of the penalty. Um, so, yeah, just a lot of question marks. But I was dying laughing at the dude that just like didn't get the memo about the about the penalty and just went to jack that car up. And I'm curious, like, how they handle that internally. Is there, like, a strike system? Or is that just grounds for termination where it's like, hey, man, you cause us a penalty, you're fucking out of here. I'm curious what the um, forgiveness level is. And me and Sarah were assuming it was close to zero. Pretty pretty cutthroat there. Right. Um, I would imagine that... I, I feel like they get second opportunities. I, I sure. think I you gotta you gotta get, especially if they've shown it in practice that they can get it done. I mean penalties are a weird scenario, and so that's kind of what it came down to in terms of all of this. I mean they give Fernando the penalty for not being within the starting like the proper starting locks. He wasn't too far yeah. up. He was just like slightly off center. Um, which we've seen other people do plenty of times. I saw a bunch of things after the race of like times that that had happened and that were like not penalized. But mm-hmm. for one thing, okay, you're going to penalize him. Two, the 
FIA regulations, we're talking about rule following it earlier on, but their sporting regulations say any decision or communication concerning a particular competitor should be given to him within 25 minutes of the decision. So this happened. His pit stop was lap 16. You're going 50 laps on this race. Each lap is over a minute and a half. You're looking at at least like 80 minutes afterwards that they're doling out this penalty to Alonzo. So they're not within their own time constraints that they put on that. But not even that. They let him go up on the podium. Aston Martin has to go back. Aston Martin had ended up showing the FIA seven different instances of teams touching the rear jack while serving similar penalties without the FIA penalizing them. And so we go from Fernando, 100th podium of his career, popping champagne, having a blast. Then we get a a lovely, and this this cracks me up. I'll send you these. um, I meant to send them earlier, but... Mercedes ends up posting this uh, this tweet with George Russell getting the third place trophy after the fact um, because the, of the penalty, and then right. ends up posting a nice little uh, a little makeup tweet shortly after uh, with him, and the trophy just says P four on it. Uh, and says, "Don't worry, pick's still good." So, <laughs> so they I mean, gave Alonzo back the P three. Yes. Yeah, so they they go, they let Alonzo go up on the podium, pop champagne, hundredth hundredth podium for El Mission. Uh, right. Then afterwards, they're like, "Hold up, wait a minute." 10 second penalty George Russell's P3 we're sending someone to Aston Martin's garage to pick up the trophy bring it to George Mercedes social media admins like smile and say cheese George click post that on social media and then after that the FIA goes and reinstates Fernando Alonso's third place after the contest uh or after Aston Martin like contested the the penalties, so Fernando ends up getting his hundredth podium in like one of the most weird, controversial like that shouldn't have been controversial ways. So so yeah, Fernando's hundredth podium was ruined. It's fine. What? <laughs> That's so funny, and it's like. That has nothing to do, like, with the drivers or anything like that. Nothing so at go, all. George is just like, okay, okay. Like, as he's, like, getting in and handing it away. That's super yeah, funny. Like, I saw Man. George tweeted out, he's, like, first silverware of the season. And I'm like, I saw it. And then, like, ten minutes later, it's like, Fernando Alonso reinstated. And George just, like, didn't take down the tweet. And I'm like, good for you. <laughs> like, exactly. what are you supposed to do? Like, this is... That's quality. <laughs> yeah, it was it was cracking me up. So Damn. Well, and they were both really good sports about it when asked. Oh, and yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think they're just... I mean, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a long season. 
and that will likely not mean too much in the long run. So yeah, just a little funny snafu it seems like. Yeah, definitely. But uh but to speak on Alonzo a little bit more, this is um his best re- best season start since he had in 2012 with Ferrari. He has 30 points in the first two races in 2012 he had 35 in the first two races. So this is kind of the, the closest he's been to that since, which is very exciting, I think, in terms of everyone having another team up there competing, especially one that wasn't expected. The first weekend was was not a fluke. Um, they're up there, and Alonzo now joins the likes of Kimi Raikkonen, Elaine Prost, uh, Sebastian Vettel, Michael Schumacher, and Lewis Hamilton in the over a hundred podium club uh so it Damn. is a very very tight club up there um with that's pretty cool yeah with a uh, hundred podiums or more so very oh, silly george russell had to taint it dude yeah it's all all his fault everyone send hate mail to george uh sign it from us now <laughs> um so yeah just a, a weird situation to, to get that 100th podium but um looking now at like team standings and all red bulls out there a good ways in front we're going to i think have a, a pretty exciting fight for second aston martin is tied now with Mercedes at 38 points apiece in the constructors with Ferrari at 26. Uh, so of course Mercedes catching up this week with Lance Stroll, uh, not finishing the race. Um, then we also had Haas get their first points of the season with Kevin Magnuson finishing in 10th place. So they got that one point up there on the board. Um, but a, uh, I mean, overall, not the most exciting race, but definitely interesting in some of the other kind of tertiary aspects of uh, of it. I think I think it was the best race that we've had there so far. I like the DRS changes that they made. I like yeah. some of the structural changes that they made to a couple of the turns. It seemed like it made for just a much more fluid race and and just lapping in general um where there wasn't as many um what seemed like uh close encounters of the concrete kind um yeah i would i would agree with that uh not as um concerning in that aspect of of guys crashing out like i said we had 18 uh 18 drivers finish at the end of the day the two that didn't were not due to um crashing which uh mm-hmm. is definitely good on these street circuits that uh tend to be a little bit tighter and leave a few more paint scrapes on the the sides of the cars mm-hmm. but yeah i think it was a uh quite a fun 2023 saudi arabian grand prix i thought it was uh i thought it was quite fun yeah and so uh kind of as we're closing out the f1 i did want to to go through a couple of points that i saw and so things i think are interesting but um with max of course he he was vocal in his interviews afterwards that he was disappointed that he ended up finishing in p2 
that without the mechanical issue, he thinks that he definitely could have won the race and all, which, hey, I mean, who knows? We, we can't really know that at the end of the day. Checo drove a really solid weekend uh, and solid race on Sunday, so um, I don't think that there's much that you can like critique Checo on, but um, Max, of course, was, was pretty vocal about how he felt and was disappointed in the way the race went. His dad, of course, was... Uh, Jos Verstappen is uh, is definitely a bit inflammatory uh, to the the non-Max fan crowd um, and was saying that uh, he feels like uh, Sergio doesn't get this chance too often. So, of course, when he has the, the chance to, he's going to go for it and all to take the win, which, is, of course... I think we're seeing a little bit of a um, uh, contention uh, on both sides maybe start to flare up um, early on, which I think this is probably the most similar start to a season to Lewis and Nico and their kind of teammate rivalry. I don't think there's... Uh, another, another recent, like Lewis and Valtteri, although they share like traded races here and there, um, Lewis I, was never really close to losing those titles to Valtteri. So, right. um, so starting off, this is definitely a, a pretty tight way to, uh, to start the season. Um, but the, the big point or the, uh, big, like hot topic was, now after the race um i don't know if you've seen much out there but what did you think about max going for the fastest lap in terms of like as a teammate and everything apparent like we heard on the radio max asking like what or, or checo being told to keep to certain times and all then we're seeing max go and take the fastest lap and everything at the end um a lot of people were uh, were including Sergio. He was said he he was told to keep a certain pl- pace. He was told that the same things were communicated to Max. Um, but then, of course, Max goes and and snatches that point to stay in the lead of the drivers' championship right at the end of uh, on the last lap of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? You, I feel like uh, a lot of people feel like it was kind of unsportsmanlike of Max. I think it's kind of fair game, and I think to be honest, if Checo was like not being competitive, or, I don't know. I feel like Checo could have done the same thing that Max did, and no one would have batted an eye. I think Checo could have gone, "Oh, is Max going for the fastest lap?" And the team probably would have told him, like, yeah, it sounds like he's going to try for it. And then Checo goes and just, like, tries to beat him. And they go to head, right. head to head. Like, I I feel like Checo shouldn't have been caught unaware that Max was going to want that point. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, is that point really going to make a difference as the season goes on? Like it's not, it's not super common for the title fight to be decided by one point. Like 
I know think it's not, that especially it this early, up. it does, but I think especially this early, there's plenty of time that will give opportunities to make up for those points on either side later in the season. Sure. My question is, what is, like, why, why would you not go for it if you were, like, truly, what am I really trying to say? It doesn't make sense for Max to not go for it every time. And yeah. then it is naive of Sergio to think that, like, whatever the team says is, like, the thing to do. And, like, well, the team told me to, like, just match the Delta. Like, obviously, he's selecting for, you know, play for the team, you know, just do mm-hmm. the – the low risk thing where max is thinking like oh i i i want to win as much as i can um so i truly believe that's just a mistake on sergio to not understand that about the teammate that he's up against uh it doesn't seem like there's going to be any free lunches and he thought that he was about to get one kind of thing is what it sounds like and then like being frustrated about it um I doubt it's going to happen in the future, hopefully. But if it does, that means that Sergio like isn't really learning about Max as a teammate and is being a little naive about like like what's cool and what's right. Like at the end of the day, you are racing against each other for points. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're. I, I think if you're not thinking about that, you are. like you're letting something slip a little bit like you're not it's not outrageous to think that driving for constructors not drivers yeah and and like that's fine but it's just not what max is doing max is max is selecting for construct or for drivers right he's he's going for his best opportunity to like get as many points as possible I think that's completely reasonable. Um, But I think the other, other concern that people were mentioning was just the fact that um, of course, Max was doing this after complaining, like you alluded to about some weird noises and whatnot at high speeds and everything. And he's still just like, I'm fucking sending it. They told me the car is good. So I'm just right. like going for it. <laughs> so. Right. And that, and that's the thing where it's like, okay, if the team has more data, if they're saying like, it's fine, it is the right move to trust your team and believe that it's okay. And then that opens the door to say like, all right, well, I'm going to go for this point. And yeah. then it makes me question, like when you say when you say there are fans tending in in one way or another, it makes me question, like, do they even really care about the racing? Because why would their sentiment be that they want Max when it is possible to get that point? Why would they want Max to hand it away? Like you're actually not selecting for competitive racing then. What you want is like for your driver to get the thing. And it's like, well, I don't think that's what we're doing here. What you actually want to see is 
all of the drivers wanting to put themselves in a position to get that fastest lap point. Yeah, and like if I any, think it, if anyone down the grid was like had a twenty some second gap, let's say a thirty second gap to the guy behind him, and you're in P eight and P 9s thirty seconds behind you fuck it i'm pitting and going for that fastest lap like right you can send it it doesn't like i don't see why you just don't go for it and like checo was told and there are radio messages where he was told like you're free to he was like uh are we pushing now and they were like you're free to push like that's all they told him they're like yeah go for it they didn't tell him like right max is pushing but they were like yeah, you're you you can push if you want, kind of thing. Sure. So it and sounds he like he didn't. was able to make his own decisions. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but the other interesting topic after after the race weekend was that um, was from the Mercedes garage and all. Uh, so Lewis said that the Red Bull car is the most dominant challenger he's ever seen in his time in Formula One, and. I just immediately go in my brain like, do you forget yourself from twenty like fifteen through twenty twenty one? Like that car was was very very good to him. He drove it super well, but like that Mercedes car over the years has had some some pretty big gaps to to the other teams as well. Um, so that was uh, was one. No, what what do you think? I I don't know if we've seen enough Formula One to necessarily say. Um, I can say I watched the entire 2016 season, and there were very few doubts in my mind of whether a Mercedes was going to win each race or not. Like I mm-hmm. was just assuming that they were going to win every race. That was kind of my <laughs> my general assumption. It seems like Lewis is just talking from the perspective of like maybe some something that he's had to face before, like the most dominant opponent. You know, if if challenger was the word that he used, um, it's tough to know what exactly he meant. Yeah, maybe he was just like removing his his experience out of the thing and just saying like hey barring me like that's fucking dominant you know it could it could be that either way i think it's just uh a a driver understanding the uh the competition and yeah it does seem like we're in a pretty high level era of formula one yeah i i would tend to agree and like i I feel like that may be what he was referencing because that 2016 season, I just double-checked myself, but Mercedes won 19 out of the 21 races. Um, So it was just like, it's hard to imagine, but maybe yeah, one of the uh, best cars he's ever had to compete with, potentially. Um, Right. But then uh, coming also from Mercedes, Toto... Uh, said that he is not upset with Red Bull's new dominance. He said, we we shouldn't talk it down. He's like, I remember hearing similar things between 2014 and 2020. Um, and so he, he kind of spoke to the fact that he feels like, hey, like 
you get that on merit in formula one like you're especially now with the budget cap and everything it's like you yes you can say red bull broke the budget cap not substantially enough to be this far ahead this season like that difference didn't make this gap this season they just are ahead of the game figured it out better have i don't know better engineers or have figured it out quicker um just like mercedes did for a long period of time and i feel like it's interesting that that's being like obviously i think that's probably something that comes up in the conversation every time a team has a a dominant car but like mercedes had the dominant car for eight years they won eight constructors titles in a row like then if you look further back there are plenty of times where ferrari had a stretch of years where they were dominant or williams had a stretch of years that were dominant or this team had a stretch of years or that team like this isn't abnormal for a team to have like two to win two drivers championships in a row win one constructors and be leading the constructors for a second year like it's not that bizarre that i think people should be like oh the sport is like like it's just not fair there's not enough competition it's like it's two years this isn't this isn't the same as other sports where like oh at the end of an nfl season you could your team could have five guys retire and this many draft picks and like like there's 53 guys on the roster that like change in and out it's not the same you got two guys and one team making the car like there are a lot less variables that are gonna like drastically shift things up around and mm. i just i don't know i i just find it weird that people are like unhappy about red bull winning when it's just like this is kind of how formula one goes well it's sure that's an easy position to take when it's your team that's at the top you're like oh dude i mean i'm 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 cool with it i was sick of it with mercedes too like i i'm what but that was after well that was no knowing yeah good sorry (laughs) not not condemning you for that just to say that like maybe it's from a perspective of the the fans are hoping that you would come from like out of one dominant era and maybe get some time where things seem to be in flux and and then after two years then the red bull dominance could come and then they'd be happy and say like whatever maybe Maybe they just didn't want to come from under one iron fist to another. Okay, that's that's fair. I I can I guess I can understand that. I I would have to do more research to know if that's the way it was. But also, a lot of new F one fans don't have the historical stuff that I'm also missing as well. So sure. it's uh, I just think of it like as kind of and obviously like being a fan of red bull i am like okay with two years of red bull doing well like i'm not like i'm not gonna lie about it but i also like i wasn't i in my like 
couple years of watching Formula One before the shift of um, of like rule sets and everything in 2021. Mm-hmm. Was I annoyed that Mercedes kept winning every race that I would go and hang out with my friends and like go to the beach and be like, oh, it's an F1 morning, Sunday morning, everyone's hungover. Sorry, you're watching F1. And they're all just like, oh, Lewis is just going to win again. Why do you even watch this bullshit? Uh, the, The Mercedes cars are just better, so they win every time. And I'm like... Well, that's because they have the better team that made the better car that gets them to and has the better drivers mm-hmm. to get them to this point. I was like, yeah, did I want Red Bull to win? A hundred percent. Was I like pissed off that Mercedes like was winning because they built the better car? Like, no, they just built the better car and had the better drivers. Like, how can I like, I can't fault them for just like, doing better than everyone else like, that's not not their fault that they figured it out just like how right. i see it now i'm like that's silly to be upset about red bull but but if you're coming into it like we're we're taking a pretty um neutral stance on it selecting for competition selecting for we want to see each team you know Basically, we're looking to see each team develop over the long term. Yes, we're checking in at each individual point, but we understand like narrative as a whole. We understand that one weekend is not just one weekend. There's a whole string of context that goes along with it. What I think some people, what is missing from the conversation is the part where the people say, hey, I'm selecting for entertainment and excitement when I say this. Like, I imagine most people are coming at it from the angle of, like, this is creating, quote-unquote, boring races because any layman with a with a tablet can predict, like, oh, Max Verstappen at the top of the grid. Like, it's just easy to say that's not necessarily weekend, we- weekend in, weekend out that yeah. exciting, Let's say if you're not inclined to that team specifically, maybe you're looking for just more shakeup in general. Yeah, like not that cool. No matter what team is at the top, even if it's a Ferrari, even if it's like a fucking Alpine, that may be more exciting for some and easy to stomach because it hasn't happened in a while. You know, there's like the novelty exciting thing with it. But overall, I mean... I, I think it's the angle of people just selecting for wanting like an exciting, entertaining fucking like crash filled weekend. Yeah. Cause I, I guess that's a good point that we are looking at the narratives in the long term, And I'm sure there are plenty of people that watch it just like race to race and aren't interested, like don't really follow anything in between. They're just like, it's race day. I'm going to sit down watch the race. I'm hoping my team does the like wins like with uh, right. like the Eagles in football. I yeah like if I see someone's injured or something like that I'll see those reports throughout the week but I'm not like okay like what's going on what are they saying in the daily press conferences about what xyz blah 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 Mm -hmm. like I'm not like into the nitty-gritty with that I'm just like I'm showing up on Sunday and yelling go birds (laughs) like I know I know about football but I'm not like 
gonna be sitting there grinding through articles and things like that about about football um where i guess yeah like having the nuance of a narrative and like we like in the preseason when we're going through each team like every single team we talked about we're like we hope they do better than next than last year except for like red bull because you can't do better than first and first like we're we're sitting there and we're like we want to see progress. We want to see growth, like individual drivers as a team. Like we, we're excited right. about that. Whereas other folks are are not. So it's I You're like just seeing one, two, three. I see these articles, and I, I'm just like, I'm like, come on! But that's mm-hmm. that's I guess uh, that might be a me problem a little bit too. So. I think a lot of it has to do with your red bull bias yeah yeah it's it's uh it's heavy bias um my my winning perspective that i have for the past like year and year and some change you know i'm just Mm -hmm. like locked in on on what it is to be a winner you know that's just that's that's life and if that's the case (laughs) how could you not be a red bull fan truly exactly there's there's no it goes hand in hand there's no other option just slamming red bulls and uh and talking about just winning traditions cloud nine over in the lcs i know where uh (laughs) we had a little bit of kind of playoff expectations all but at the top of the board my team again sorry guys just don't hate me hate your teams for being worse than mine that's all i can say exactly (laughs) but But they've uh, got they've got clg in their first round uh in their first round for the playoffs clg has obviously like looked pretty pretty decent this season um so it may be maybe an okay matchup but i imagine that's probably cloud nines um i think i think it's uh gonna be a pretty good matchup clg's played pretty well throughout the season i've been um i've been pretty impressed with them overall um looking at just especially like um keeping the same roster that they had last year and just like letting that grow and their cohesion and teamwork and everything they've had a, a pretty solid split as a whole um i think dokla was kind of one of my question marks on the team uh in particular and he has played very well throughout the split so as a whole i i do expect cloud nine to win that matchup um i think blabber and berserker in individually have played like phenomenally eminis has been like a solid mid laner from uh from matches i've watched and all but um i I do expect them to win i don't think it's gonna be uh super super duper tight but we've got um few rounds of playoffs to go i like that i'm just happy that there's a winners and losers bracket so that we at least have the opportunity for like some of these teams to to continue through uh the bracket and make their way to the finals yeah i think it's a really good choice for the playoffs to have to have the losers bracket sometimes we've seen riot include it sometimes we've seen riot not include it 
why they make those changes we don't know but happy to have a loser's bracket for the for the na playoffs here um i think that you know just more games gives you a little more a um practice in those scenarios for like the you know the msis in the worlds but um yeah i i'm happy to see the losers bracket here in this tournament we already have golden guardian seated in and evil genius is seated in um so i believe that would be golden guardians is fifth evil geniuses is six uh six seed so they start down there yeah and uh one of the interesting like just kind of notes from the regular season at the end of the regular season um we ended up with tsm substituting in hauncer into that top lane position where um old guy hauncer coming back yeah where he had uh been on their academy team throughout the season um and ends up coming in uh at the end of the split to fill into that top lane role um and i'd have to to double check how that went i don't recall um he went oh he so he won one game lost one game in the the two that he played uh playing scion and Cassante. so um i mean he has better at uh <laughs> better win percentage than the rest of the T- TSM team at the end of the uh split but yeah i mean not best a player on the squad confirmed basically but uh nice. TSM not not making it into the playoffs um definitely not what we would expect from them in terms of long term. Another team right alongside them, uh, just out of the playoffs, was Team Liquid at eight mm-hmm. and ten as well. Um, so both those teams missing out, and like you had said, Cloud Nine is playing CLG in the first round of the playoffs in the winners bracket. We have FlyQuest versus Hundred Thieves in the uh, other winners bracket round. So. Um, some good matchups going into the LCS playoffs uh, here this uh, this coming week. Yeah, I think I'm pretty excited to see uh, see Hundred Thieves and FlyQuest play. I think that'll be that'll be a really good series um, into into the best of fives for the year. Obviously, I think the the phase when North America gets gets a whole lot better. Um, well, not better. I should just say more exciting to watch. Um, so some pretty good League of Legends coming up as well as in, um, as well as in the LCK, we've got some playoff matches, uh, coming up as well. Looking at the, we've got the KT Rolster versus Live Sandbox and then Don Juan Kia versus Hanwha Life Esport. Um, just to briefly take a look at each of these matchups. So the Don Juan Kia game seeding, uh, into Gen G, um, for, well, I'll go back to the top. KT versus Live Sandbox. Um, expecting a 3-2 in favor of KT. Um, and I'll say that I think I think the teams are like relatively even strength with no like outlying issues on on either side. And then just in that matchup, I think I just rate KT a little bit higher just based on jungle meta. And I think KT's jungler is a little bit better than what uh, Live Sandbox has going on. And then specifically in the bottom lane, I think the Lehens versus Kyle matchup 
is not going to be a place where Live Sandbox is able to be able to draw too much advantage from. And being that the bottom lane is so volatile, it's so it's so important. You're seeing junglers just like funnel down there pretty quickly. Um, we saw Lehens have a brutal performance on a Blitzcrank like earlier in the week. Um, so I think this guy is just going to be really tough to deal with, especially in a best of five. His champion pool is really going to get to shine. Um, so I think that one's going to go to KT. What do you think? Um, I, I would lean KT's way too. Um, I don't know if it will go to a three, two, maybe a three, one, um, for KT and, and not that live sandbox couldn't take a, a, a second game, but I think, what we've seen from KT is if they can kind of I feel, get the ball rolling, I think that they have performed pretty well in their, their series that they've had. So if they can get a couple wins together, so if they win, I, I mean if they win games one and two, I could see them going 3-0 even in a very tight contested sure. series. But I do feel like Live Sandbox has played pretty solidly um, throughout the season as well it, to be have the opportunity to take off like a game or two. Um, but I, I do lean towards KT. I think that, like you said, Cuz versus Willer in the jungle I think is uh, one of the key matchups. Um, I'm looking a little bit at BDD and closer. I think that is a very tight matchup in terms of what we've seen performance wise from the two of them throughout the season. So I think whichever way that goes could definitely, um, uh, turn the series one way or another in terms of, um, whether it takes KT five games, four games, or whatnot. But I, I do definitely expect KT to, to come out on top there as well. Either way, I think it's going to be um, I think it's going to be a pretty exciting series. Um, and then looking looking down on the other on the other side of the bracket is the Dom Juan Dom Juan Kia plus Dom Juan plus Kia damn Kia plus Juan versus Hanwha Life Esports. Um, predicting a 3-1 in this scenario uh, for, for Don Juan Kia. They, I, I think across the board, uh, if you look player to player, I think they just have a lot of advantages just like in each role. Um, and then with it being such a such like a jungle jungle dominant meta where like whatever lane your jungler picks to influence, like kind of whatever what whatever lane you've kind of picked ban for and the jungle is going to try and kick that in um it just seems like the jungler has a lot of influence and i i would give that big time to uh canyon for for dom juan there and then honestly i think the bots the bot side for dom juan as well is going to be disgusting um deft has just been playing at a really high level uh this 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 split um so to be fair i think don juan's gonna take that series pretty handily and i think on my end i am slightly higher on like a three two in this series where i'm not quite sure which way it's gonna go 
Um, okay. I think Viper has played pretty well, and Zika has started to really show out uh, pretty well at the end of the split as well. Yep. Um, Showmaker's had a couple of moments where he's faltered recently, um, and so I think um, as a whole, it's going to be just pretty pretty tight overall. I, I see it leaning... Uh, being a little more contested than I think the first series with KT and, and Liv Sandbox would be. Um, mm. I, I'm leaning still a little bit uh, towards Dom on, uh, D plus Kia. Um, like you said, primarily because of Deft and how well he's performed. He's been just on fire the last uh, stretch of the season here. So I think that kind of puts me uh a little bit more on their side going into this um but i i do think that there is a lot more opportunity there for for hanwha life to to take a couple of games off of um off of d plus kia Sure. Well, to be fair, I think that's the beauty of uh, beauty of the LCK is a lot of these teams pretty evenly matched, um, have had pretty similar trajectories throughout the season. Um, so yeah, either way, I think uh, I think the first round of the um, of the LCK playoffs here are going to be quite exciting, feeding into the matches obviously against T1 and Gen G. Um, and then and then that drops down to a loser bracket as well. Um, but a lot of games coming up here uh, for the LCK. And now, was there anything you wanted to look ahead to for the LPL? I know their playoff starts a little bit later. Um, were there any notes that you wanted to hit from the LPL? Um, not initially. Just the, the top of the table is still super tight. Um, JD Gaming, Edward Gaming... Uh, tied for first and second at 12 and three overall in series. Uh, JD Gaming has the tiebreaker um, being 26 and eight overall in games as opposed to 26 and 11 for Edward Gaming. Um, LNG, like the, it, it, in the LCK, like the top of the table is very strong. Like the sixth place to seventh place gap is a four game gap that or a four series gap. That's pretty substantial. Um, Mm -hmm. over here in the LCK, uh, or in the LPL, as you get further down, especially because there are so many teams, the differences become very small. Like RNG and team WE have the same record, uh, very small difference in terms of games won and lost and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And that is the difference between 9th, 10th, and 11th with Invictus Gaming there. So um, with the top 10 going to playoffs, I think it's very tight. We've still got uh, a few matches left to go coming up here. We have... Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven matches left in the LPL season before mm-hmm. we go to official standings for for playoffs and all. So there's definitely a little bit of room to uh, to shift that around. Um, LNG could end up um, surpassing EDG if they two zero in their matchup coming up. They would jump EDG in the standings and take that second position. Uh, just in terms of the tiebreaker being um, number of losses throughout the split. So yeah, I think overall 
I'm just looking to see if there are any teams that um, can kind of play spoiler in the playoffs. I think the most likely culprits are uh, Weibo Gaming and Billy Billy Gaming in that 4-5 slot, but uh, I think a lot of it depends on matchups, which we'll have a bit more perspective on next uh, next week on the, the podcast. Yeah, and I think some like some shifting still yet to happen. Um, but yeah, some of the some of the more exciting things are going to be in like where some of the top top teams get seated, and then who in that bottom sector. You know, like you were like you were pointing out, we have a bunch of teams that have like very very similar records. Um, so people could get just like booted out um, just depending by that, on like, small small margin. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a series loss here and one game loss could be uh, could be could be pretty tough. So I yeah. I think a lot of shakeups yet to happen for the LPL. Looking forward to see what the what the playoff brackets look like. But we'll have more information um, coming at you next week. But uh, yeah, I think we've got some got some exciting uh, playoffs coming up here. Yeah, a lot of excitement leading into MSI. Um, but I know we'll get more into that as the playoffs start to progress i know you also had some magic the gathering you wanted to chat about a little bit so why don't we hop right in there nice yeah just uh just a little bit a little bit different from uh the normal commander conversation which is kind of why i wanted to bring it up um so a member of the playgroup, john me and him have been talking about a format that I think I, I think it officially started about a year ago or so, um, where they take basically a chunk of time in Magic's like release schedule, and they they pick a point and say everything from from this date to now is legal, you know, and then they have like a little banned and restricted list. And then, but everything before it is not legal. You can't play it. So the card pool is like X big, right? Is it still play? Are you talking about still playing with that in the commander format? Or are you talking about that in just like regular, like 1v1? It's a regular 1v1 format. So 75 card decks where you have a 60 card main deck, a 15 card sideboard, wherein you can play four of any one copy of card unless it has uh, restrictions. Um, and he was talking about it. There's a couple events that have been popping up around at some of the local LGSs. Hmm. And it seems like a pretty, pretty cool format. A bunch of the decks in the format are very interesting and um what's fun about it i had a lot of the pieces for the uh red blue phoenix list the pioneer list of it i had a lot of the pieces for already and with just a few just a few minor shifts would be able to get the the deck live and ready to go so yesterday, because we weren't able to get Commander games, me and John planned to hang out. He has a mono-white humans list that he was looking to play and bring to events. Um, so I sleeved up my Phoenix list to be able to basically play test with him and just get some practice playing the deck. And um, I have to say, it was really fun looking at like the Pioneer metagame, some of the other decks that are in the format. It just seems really cool. 
I like the play pattern of the deck that I chose. Um, and yeah, there was just a lot to learn, a lot of fun stuff going on. Uh, so, so it was fun to sit down and play with him. Uh, a couple of the key points that I wanted to hit on was how mulligans are different, like meaning like uh, how you choose your hand, mm-hmm. where I realized very similar to Commander, mulliganing is an important part of of any deck learning what you need to see in your opening hand what you don't want to see in your opening hand and these things so i think that's an area where one could improve is looking at the mulligans and saying nah maybe i should have been a little more aggressive here uh maybe you're supposed to like dig for this type of interaction piece or whatever so thinking about the mulligans was fun and like how to improve that in that is learning how to do the sideboards so you get 15 cards that are not in your main deck that in between each game you do you know best of three matches in between each game you Mm -hmm. can take cards out of your main deck and put cards into your main deck from your sideboard so these will be cards that say like um deal with their graveyard kill a creature counter a spell kill an enchantment kill an artifact so depending on what strategy they bring you can adapt your strategy to their deck with your sideboard to hopefully like make a matchup a little bit better for you do you have all 15 cards just sitting at your in your hand and you're just like I'm going to play this to fuck with that. Like what in is the game played in like a best of 5, a best of 3, like so it's best, best of, three. of 3. Okay. So sideboarding happens in between each game, so yeah. it's not like a, a phase of the game. So you would right. look, so, look at your deck, what do you want to take out and then put in from the sideboard. Most of the time oh, you're not using all 15 cards. Okay, so you're just swapping cards out. It's not like a mini That's the game word on that the I side. Didn't use. Okay. Right. I was yes. thinking like Swap. a mini right. game on the side where you're they're like, "Oh, I didn't like this card, so I'm going to play this that exiles your blah blah blah." And you can be like, "Oh, well, I've held this card on the side that is uh, instant sorcery that like fucking doesn't let you do that shit. Um, I okay, I'm tracking better. Yeah. <laughs> so. so swapping cards in gotcha. and out to get to yeah to get a better matchup. Okay, so, that, that's cool. Like you're 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 ch- you're picking your champs. Exactly, and then it gives you the opportunity where let's say like they had a really strong strategy in game one you can say like okay what were the key pieces what did we see often you grab everything from your sideboard that deals with that and then get rid of the things in your main deck that like were just totally shit against it so that's how that's how the uh the matchups can develop so it was really fun where you could tell he was and like we were talking about it because like we're trying to learn and so he was saying like he was sideboarding differently in the different matches in between each game just to learn like what's working better we were talking about the different pieces that came up that were like did that feel worse against your deck or did that feel worse and it's like oh well i actually think this shut down more things so we were we were getting pretty uh pretty in the weeds about sideboarding choices and what to do um we found out that the phoenix versus mono white humans is a pretty rough matchup for phoenix I have some sideboarding options, but I think 
I was missing some elements of a good sideboard to where I think if I were to play him again, I may have just a better matchup in general. But based on what I had going on, it was a pretty tough matchup, even when I was sideboarding the correct things. Gotcha. Um, so I went 0-3 against them. But we learned a lot, and I think that's what matters. Um, and then I followed up that experience last night. Today, I did some investigation into that deck specifically, watching some you know more skilled players than me pilot the deck and talk about the deck. And it made me realize a couple maybe mistakes that I was making. Um, so overall, just learning about the format, learning about this version of the Phoenix deck was just a lot of fun. It was really sweet to play one versus one. It was really sweet to just explore a new thing and learn about it that will inform like later times. Like we want to go to events and like play together yeah. and maybe play test and all these things. So I think it could open just up a whole nother avenue of, uh, of magic enjoyment. So I think it was a, a great start. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, especially. Yeah. So uh, one other question I had before I like get into the, talking about how cool I think that is, but uh when you use cards from your sideboard, do you have to tell the other person like what you're swapping in and out? Oh, uh, you can just that's totally... the beauty of it. Oh, that's interesting. That's like yep. no, I think I think that's really cool because that's what I was kind of wondering. Because um, obviously in league, like in a best of five series, like draft to draft, the other team could just have a completely different strategy and yeah maybe they'll take some of the same champion picks but they might pick a bunch of different shit too uh and okay that's that's really cool but um but i that adds to the fact that i think that it's like cool that you guys got to test that out i think it's really like i think it's exciting that you guys are having the opportunity to go to like LGSs or local game stores as uh as we plebs call them uh yep. <laughs> to to be able to um play with like other people who are are interested in the area and all like that's that's pretty sweet so very very cool that you are getting to check that out and I hope to hear more good words about uh the opportunities that you guys have had to check things out in the area Oh, believe me, the first opportunity that I get, I'll be bringing a Pioneer event um, little recap for you guys. I'll I'll go through go through what what I think could be uh, some of the interesting elements. But I'll tell you I'll tell you about a very interesting thing um, to to close the conversation on sideboards, and we can and we can close up with the with the uh, flavor of the week. So, Pro Tour. Pro Tour Pioneer, or I guess it was called Pro Tour Phyrexia. Um, recent tournament just happened. Like biggest thing in tournament Magic: The Gathering, the the winning deck. It's called Is It Creativity. So the strategy of the deck, the the main card that you're winning with, it's called Indomitable Creativity. You sack you basically look to sack two artifacts or two creatures to pull out the like a, a game winning two creature combo out of your deck okay so it you only play those two creatures so that when you cast that spell those are the only two you can find so it ends up being a pretty reliable thing 
So the the finals between Reed Duke and I forget who the other individual were. Reed Duke was on Is It Creativity? The series went to all five games. Hmm. And the fun thing about that deck is he, depending on the game, sometimes he would side out the combo and then sometimes he would put it back in. So the other opponent eventually like he's going to see your winning line he's going to go to sideboards and think okay so he's playing this i need to do x y and z at a certain point in the sideboard you can say yeah yeah well i'm taking that out and so you have like this whole different plan in your sideboard that you can bring in see that's that's cool because like in commander you have to build your contingency plans into the deck right and like you but there's no adaptability that which is also like in its own right like yeah you're just like this is the best possible deck that i can play and i if i play it to my maximum like i can win seven out of ten games because right uh, against this other person but like also you have the rng of just like card draw where you're just like Mm -hmm. i could just get fucked because i don't have the right cards into my hand like that's just the way it goes so it's uh, a little bit more like um inflexible in commander but also like right still like a a really cool format but i think that's a, a nice little like tweak with having flexibility i didn't realize that was in the standard like meta oh yeah and it's like it creates some very interesting like just kind of match states where you can get a player that kind of steals a game out of nowhere because of the way that they sideboarded and like catches opponent off guard um so recently we saw a great example of a deck having this like this pivot ability um to where they were able to side the combo out and get like and and still have advantage um so that deck is in the format as well um so it's just going to be uh i I think it's going to be a lot of fun but on to the end of the episode let's get our people out of here um aaron why don't you tell us about your flavor of the week sounds good i'll keep it uh pretty short and sweet but my music this week i with the like warm ish and sunny ish weather um i've been yearning for the springtime and i've just been jamming out to mac miller a lot of macadelic and kids and blue side park just that fun springtime like nice weather vibes um mix in with some other stuff but uh but i've just that's one that i always seem to go back to and in this kind of time of year um my visual medium for the week is uh colleen and i have jumped into on the recommendation of a couple of our friends australian survivor so we're big survivor fans australian survivor someone there's a person who posts all the new episodes on youtube and nothing gets copyrighted because like australia doesn't care uh for whatever reason so We've just been following along on YouTube um, and watching those episodes. It's been pretty entertaining. The Australian folks are a bit more blunt and uh, just kind of uh, less concerned about what other people think of them than we see in the American Survivor. In American Survivor, everyone's kind of got to have like 
a, a good persona and everyone's worried about looking good and like not like being an asshole and this and that where uh, it australia australian survivor reminds me of survivor like back in the day when i mm-hmm. i've watched since i was a kid and there used to be people who were like oh yeah i'm the bad guy of the season i'm gonna do everything shady that i can to fucking win this and um, mm-hmm. i was like oh i don't like you as a person but like i like you in this game like <laughs> like you're good and australian survivor reminds me of that a little bit which nice. is uh which is fun um so entertaining to watch but my uh my food this week is a recipe i've made for a while it's a ramen recipe i found on tiktok a long time ago um Colleen uh, requested it the other day, so I went and whipped it up for us. Uh, I think it was yesterday, um, but it was nice. Uh, like I haven't done it in a while, and it was nice to kind of go back to like one of those things that I like made for myself really frequently when I was mm-hmm. living on my own. And I'm like, oh, this is quick. I can whip it up. It's like I like it, and uh, it was it was fun to make it again after a little little time off. So Hell yeah. Always good to go back to a to a you know old reliable uh, a staple as it were. Exactly. So, uh, but that is uh, my flavor of the week, Justin. Why don't you uh, wrap us up here? Uh, so my music here for the week. I was doing some uh, I was doing some cruising on the Assetto Corsa mod. Uh, so I was listening to I was listening to Kanye West. Donda has um has some pretty good uh, I would say cruising music like on the front half of the album. It starts getting pretty sad there at the at the back. So you change it, but the the front half the front half is good cruising music. Uh, my food here for the week. Sarah uh, thought it'd be a cool idea to do breakfast for dinner. Um, so we had French toast, bacon, and eggs one night for for dinner. It was fucking killer. Love breakfast for uh, yeah, so good. And then my visual medium here for the week. Uh, we finished up the Maze Runner trilogy with the third nice. film, Death Pure. Um, solid ending. Definitely, definitely heart wrenching. But yeah, definitely great series. Uh, we thoroughly enjoyed it, um, and it was really fun to go back back through the second time. Um, you know, pick up on things that may, you may have missed, but yeah, overall, it was just a just a good time, and happy to finish out the trilogy there. But yeah, short and sweet. That's my flavor of the week, there, sir. Nice. That's a so I don't know. I can't remember if I ever watched the third movie in that trilogy. So I may have to take my self back and and go through those with colleen but i would um, say it's like big time worth it honestly yeah. so i'll have to i'll have to look to do that but uh of course as always ladies and gents the end of the flavor of the week means the end of the episode um you can find us on spotify google podcasts check us out on youtube hit us up on twitter at tall and short of one the number one um but we love putting this out. And so thank you all for listening and spending some time with us this week. Yeah. Just like Aaron said, we really appreciate you spending your time with us. Uh, let your friends know uh, new episodes come out every Thursday. Uh, we're recovering esports, formula one and any hobby type related stuff. You guys know the deal. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's been another episode tall and short of it. Peace out. Later. <laughs>